This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and term supply. See mcdonalds.com. Thank you for downloading Going Back. This video was featured on our YouTube channel earlier on in the year. Please make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more visual interviews at youtube.com forward slash back of the nest. Also, remember to visit our sponsors, pitchsports.co.uk. No paywall, no subscription. Back of the nest. Fan created podcasts, videos, and articles. Free forever. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Going Back. I'm Dio and today I'm joined by Nick James and the one and only Eddie McGoldrick. Thank you, Eddie, for joining us. Um, How's how's the family doing during the lockdown? Yeah, good. Yeah, good, surprisingly. We've kept ourselves busy. Um, And it's even better now the golf courses are open, so I've been able to get out there three times a week for the last couple of weeks. But... um, Still keeping in touch with the college, obviously with the work I do now through um, the football program that I have and the Palace Foundation that it's backed by. So keeping on top of the boys for their work because they're still working with their coursework and they have to send me videos every other day of them working out and doing some technicals. So yeah, it's not been too bad. It's getting a little bit monotonous now. I think uh, I think everybody's got to the end of their tether now. So hopefully it can uh, we can get out of it soon enough. Yeah. Remote teaching's not easy. Tell me about it. I'm, I'm on half term this week, but it's yeah, it's a lot of work. And when you when half when half your students are awake all night and not awake during the day, that doesn't make it easy either. So trying trying to get hold of them first thing in the morning is just <laughs> no chance. I always leave it till about twelve o'clock. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, so, it's, it's been difficult, certainly for them. And the boys used to training every day and. You know, they're out of their structured timetable and it's difficult and getting motivated now to get out and do some work. Never mind the college work. Is, uh, but we've kept on top of them and hopefully, um, like I say, yeah, we're on, half, we're on half term now officially as well this week, but although it's been a 10-week half term at the moment, so I'm missing work, I have to say that. So let's start right at, at the bottom. So who did you look up to as a footballer growing up? Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Oh, God, I just, I mean, I love football. I, I just love football from an early age, like we all did, you know, and probably one of my earliest heroes was, was George Best. Um, with that obviously that Irish connection and my parents being from Dublin my dad loved George Best so he was probably one of my earliest heroes and then obviously as I grew up and playing the position that I played I'd said earlier on it wasn't until I got to probably the age of 18 17 that I started playing as a right wing I was always a sweeper so Rudy Kroll from the great Dutch team in the 70s was was one of my big heroes as well. I used to wear my shirt outside my shorts and was always coaches telling me to tuck it back in and tuck it back in and take it back out because he wore his kit like that. And then obviously as I got a little bit older, Franco Baresi was was in that as well. So they'd probably be my three standout footballers that I looked up to as I was growing up. Going back to George Best there, I actually saw him play against Palace for Fulham <clears throat> and he broke Ian Evans' leg. You could hear the crack. But, yeah. But, but, no offence, you're a little bit older than me, but the impression I get from George Best, because I saw him at the tail end, was he changed the way people saw football. Is that true, do you think? I think so. I think so. And I think he's, if you talk about pure entertainment, he's probably, you know, back in that era would be the first name that, you know, would roll off your tongue to the older generation and certainly the younger generation. Um, I think it was probably through my dad that I got to experience him. So um, it was just an unbelievable. And from the footage, obviously only the footage is, is, is what you pick up and you see it later on in life. But he was just memorising it, you know, at the height of his career, he was phenomenal. And it's, I actually got to meet him. He was doing some work for Capital Gold at the time as a co-commentator. And I think I'd gone up to one of the boxes to get in the main stand to get... I'd, I think I'd won the man of the match and he was walking down the stairs. So to actually bump into him and he stopped and spoke to me and said, oh, great game today. And, you know, you've done really well since coming in from Northampton. And I was just like, I was in awe, you know. Um, and then obviously later on in life, in, in the years, I read his book and it's, you know, the good, the bad and the bubbly. And it was just such a disappointment to read it about him retiring at 26. And I wasn't in any way disappointed with him. It was just sad. It was a shame that, Somebody of such ability was, you know, was troubled by, you know, what went on in his life, and he found that fame and fortune, and it just went all horribly wrong for him. So, yeah, but he was obviously my first. first Parallels one. with Gaza, there isn't there really? It's 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 all a bit similar. Yeah, with, very with, much. With so. going and not being able to handle the spotlight and and whatever. Just just coming on to that and. We, we said we'd have some ad hoc questions. How, how did you cope when people were singing your name? Because, you know, surely it must go to some people's heads. Did, did it affect you? Did it affect any of the other players? Did they start getting too big for their boots? No, no, I, no I, don't, I don't think so. I think from a personal point of view, 
I'd had good recognition at the Cobblers at Northampton because we'd won the championship and yeah, and, and, and I became I was lucky enough to become a favourite there. Um and I think all you do it, it's nice. I don't I, I never got ahead of myself. I never got you know, it, it was just nice to be appreciated and it, it gave you that confidence obviously to go on and, you know, and play better and, you know, do what you have to do and to be liked and appreciated by your by your supporters is is always a great confidence booster, whoever you play for throughout your career. So, yeah, um, I think one of the earliest things they used to sing to me at Palace from the Arthur Waite was Charlie Chapman on the wing. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, or Eddie, Eddie. So, yeah, it was great. It just, it just fills you with a little bit of confidence and gives you that, you know, that, that, that lift that you need to go into the next game and, you know, if you if you make a mistake, you know people are not going to get on your back. So, no, I never really struggled with it, but I never really got I never really got overawed with it either. So, Eddie, just, if you think of um, if you could think of a um, a modern day player that maybe um, you would say um, would entertain us as much as maybe George George Best knows, and I do agree with you. George Best was one of my idols, and I saw him once, but I just used to watch the videos. But who would you say of the modern era would be would come close to being the George Best type of player? Oh, you'd have to say, I mean, Messi. Messi in, in that bracket, it would be the player. Um, and I think the saddest thing about what's gone out of the game now is, is that if flair plays, you know, it's become more structured and you don't lose the game. And probably 80% of the players that make up certainly the Premiership now and La Liga are hard-working players, you know, that can do the basics really well. And you need to be able to do that. And then that other 20%, like the Messis and the Ronaldos and the, you know, say the Agueros, the David Silvers, uh, back in, you know, the Arsenal days with Thierry Henry, those players that can change a game, you know, at the drop of a hat, um, that can get people bums off seats, as they used to say back in my day. Mm. There's not many of them about now. So, um, you know, we should, we should actually cherish them a lot more than what you know we possibly do. Well, we've, we've got Jordan I at the moment. He's the closest thing we've had to George Best for ages. We've only got to look at that <laughs> goal at West Brom uh, against West Ham. That was that was incredible, wasn't it? Best yeah, would be proud of that. Yeah, be perfectly honest. I mean, I didn't see that coming. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it was a great run and some brilliant individual skill and. You know, he mesmerised those defenders and it was a great finish to go through that from where he was out on the right-hand side and, and then to go through and so coolly finish it. That was, yeah, fantastic goal, that. Brilliant. So, Les, you started football in non-league football um, in your playing days. So, what was that like playing in non-league football? And was that the path to go to first-team football? Because I know it's different now with the huge amount of investments in academies, but back in your days, I don't think that was the case. So, what was that like? Yeah, I mean non-league football. Non-league football was the was the route through then um, for players. You know, um, academies weren't as big and as structured as they are nowadays. They didn't have that money to run big academies, so clubs were always looking in the lower leagues and in non-league football for you know young, hungry players that could step up. And um, that was my that was my first taste at sixteen. I was actually at Peterborough United as a schoolboy. Um, and left at 16 and signed for Kettering Town, um, which was about eight miles from my hometown club. And they were playing in what would be the equivalent of the National League now. Um, I think it was called at the time the Alliance Premier League. So 
I think quickly from signing for them, I was in the first team within about five months. So I was about 16 and a half. I made my debut um, at right back and um, stayed in the team. And over that course of 18 months, I had lots of top flight clubs looking at me. Um, they all came, they all went. Tottenham were really keen at the time and wanted me to go on a two-week trial. So it was about 17 then. The great Bill Nicholson was the chief scout. He'd come to watch me over the bank holiday weekend. Down at, We played down at Barnet, I think, and then we had Enfield at home on the Monday. I played well and he wanted me to go down on the trial initially just so I could get used to the environment. And I don't know if you remember Don Masson, the old QPR player, Scottish international. Yeah. He was the manager at Ketchum at the time. And he wouldn't let me go. He said to Tottenham, he said, no, we want 50 grand for him. If you don't, you know, he's not going on trial. You've got to take it, you know, or leave it. And Tottenham pulled out. And a lot of money point, in them days, Eddie. A lot of money it was a lot days. of money. Yeah, it was a lot of money. And I just, after that, I just, you know, I felt really hard done by. And I, I probably started soaking a little bit and felt sorry for myself. And I lost a bit of confidence and form. And, um, yeah, just I struggled for a year, and then Graham Carr, who was manager of Nuneaton Borough at the time, had watched me from 16, and he knew I was struggling. And he was manager at Nuneaton, and they were flying in the in the conference at the time. So he came and took me for pennies. I think it was about a thousand pound he paid Ketchum for me. So I went over to Nuneaton for a couple of seasons, and after that first year, Graham got the job at Northampton, and. Um, he took Trevor Morley and Richard Hill with him. I don't know if you've heard of those. Trevor went to Man City. We played in the Cobblers team together. Hilly went to Watford and he said to me, look, you're not quite ready yet. Give it another year. Get a little bit more physical, you know, work on your core and, you know, prepare yourself for the fourth division because obviously back then it was a, you know, that was a blood and guts thunder league where, you know, people were going to kick you. That's for sure. So, yeah. That was that was the start of it for me. And Graham came, like he said, he kept his promise, and he came back for me in 1986, and I signed for Northampton in a twenty thousand pound deal, and and that's where my league career started. Do you think it helped you in a way? I mean, looking back at it now, instead of going to a club like Tottenham, playing in a non-league football, as you said, it's not easy. It's not easy to do due to the physicality of it and also how people are desperate to go first in football. Do you think, looking back at it now, do you think it helped you a lot in, in path to your career? Oh, yeah, for sure. Definitely. Definitely. I think if I went into the system at possibly 17 and signed for Spurs, you know, God knows what would have happened. I probably would have got swallowed up and lost in the system and and been maybe released. You don't know. It's a hypothetical question or hypothetical thought. Um, and being released a couple of years later and dropped back down into non-league. So coming through that route and going into the fourth division with Graham was a great eye-opener. It was a great apprenticeship for me. You know, I, I, I probably played by the time I was 19 years of age. I probably played 200 games in the conference. So, you know, I was experienced and, you know, the conference at that time was full of ex-league players that were coming towards the end of the career and we dropped down just to, you know, earn another couple of hundred quid a week. And, you know, it was tough. It, it was tough playing out there against some of these players. So, you know, my mum used to sit in the stand crying when I was getting kicked and she'd be creating and giving out. And But it was all part of the experience and, it, and it, you know, it, it gave me that drive and that determination to, to really go on from there. You know, when I got to Northampton, I was determined to, to make the most of it. So, um, sorry, sorry, dear. It's, it's troubling times for non-league clubs now, isn't it? With um, 
no revenue and whatever. It's just just hope that um, they can all pull through. And I know I know a lot of local teams are kind of putting stuff out on Twitter for crowdfunding and donations. So even if you don't support them, if you can spare a few quid, just give your local club, you know, just, just to keep them going because uh, they are the yeah. lifeblood of the sport. And as Eddie said, maybe not so many players coming through now, but you, you'll still get your Jamie Vardy's and your and your whoever's and. Um, yeah, and well, if you look at our shrink. club, you look at our club in particular. Um, that year we won the championship in Northampton. We beat Crew to win the championship, and David Platt, Jeff Thomas, and John Pemberton were all playing for Crew that night. You yeah. know, and then a year later, when I signed for Palace, Pembo and, and Jeff were there, and Platt had gone on to to Aston Villa. So you know, in those days, those players were about. And I think even today, you know, it's, it's important that through that pyramid and going down the pyramid that the amount of money that is in football now, certainly the premiership, you know, it's got to be filtered down. Certainly after, you know, and what we're going through now, it's really important that we do keep these clubs um, going. Um, it's important for football. It's important for hope to give young players that maybe been in the system and been kept rejected and then go into non-league football that you know, that they can go through that route that people like myself and Wrighty and Jeff and Pemble did and, you know, and have that hope that they can go through that system and, you know, and then get back in to, to you know, professional football. So, yeah, I just hope that, you know, these clubs don't start falling by the wayside because I think they're very important for communities as well. Yeah. Eddie, we've had a number of discussions on our podcast about... Um, you know, whether we as a club should continue to splash out, you know, 20, 25 million plus on players that maybe are unproven in the Premier League or, or, or use on two or three players that are further down the leagues and try and sort of get a bargain basement um, player. Um, and I, I've had many an argument about this because you just see so many players that flop. Um, and, and the money is just ridiculous these days. And I'm wondering whether there will be quite a few more bargains actually, you know, coming off the back of this um, coronavirus episode. And um, maybe there won't be as much money flying around. Um, I think the academy um, is going to be very, very important to us going forward. I think so. Yeah, I think so. But again, um, even at our club, how many players have come through the system? Um, over the last 10 years that have gone on to play in the first team. You know, you obviously talk about Klein and, and Wilf would be the biggest standouts there. There has been others, but, you know, it costs a lot of money now to run an academy. It must be up to nearly £3 million a year. Um, so what's the end product? And I think certainly with this pan pandemic as it is, clubs will not be spending what they could afford to spend. I mean, £30 million for Crystal Palace it's huge, you know, yeah. it's absolutely massive. Are we going to be able to afford that type of money now? I'm not so sure. So, but will that opportunity be given to the brightest prospects in the academy? I'm not so sure because um, football clubs, that trust that they have in young players, I don't think is there anymore. Um, and it's very difficult for players to break through very difficult for players to break through and go on and become a fixture in a team and you know and have a, a 10 10 year career at the highest level so um 
you, you, you've, you've got to be a division below to do that as well. I mean, you, you, you missed out Moses from that list. We had other players yeah. in the season yeah. before we came up. I mean, Moses, to me, has arguably had the best career since he's left Palace, since possibly Ian Wright. Because um, he's, he's been everywhere, hasn't he? And he's, he's done well. I mean, he played so well for Chelsea playing at wing-back. He's out in yeah. Turkey now. He's won medals. He's, you know, so we, we did have it. But because the risk is so high in the Premier League of failure that you're not with... Well, you, you, there's the risk, but there's also you, suddenly you've got money you can spend. So, so it kind of cuts that out, I think. Mm. So it, that, that's difficult for him. Yeah, very much so. It's very, it is, and, you know, and I agree with that. And I didn't miss Moses out on purpose. I just, you know, I was, I was highlighting yeah. those guys there. But yeah, he's had a great career. He went to Liverpool as well. Um, was in and out of that team. Went to Chelsea and done really well. Like you say, he's a wing-back. And, you know, he's out in Turkey now. And it's fantastic. But again, over the last 10 years, those are the three standout names. I know we've had Scano. There's obviously been others that you'd be aware of more, more you know, than me. But um, yeah, you know, again, that emphasis on young, hungry players or non-league players. There's plenty of Jamie Vardy's out there. They just need to be given the opportunity, you know, um, and hopefully. And I, I just think I just think with the way modern-day modern, modern day football's gone, it, it's too easy now. And like I say, that trust. I know, and and Mark, Mark Bright does a great job at the club. He's in control of all the younger players that go out on loan and, you know, he follows their progress wherever they are, if it's Luton, whoever it is, and he speaks to the managers and speaks to the players individually to see how they're getting on and the progress they're making. And I think that's a good grounding for them. But at some point, these players need to be given an opportunity. They need to be given an opportunity. How, you know, how, how do we know that they're not good enough to play in the first team at Palace? We don't. You're absolutely you're absolutely spot on, Eddie. And one prime example is Aaron Wambasaka. I mean, he only got into the team because we were literally um, mm. had so many injuries and, and down to the bare bones that he got thrown into the team and he just didn't look back. And after one full season, he's gone for 50 million. So it can happen and I think it would happen, it will happen again. But there has to be, um, you have to have the manager that's got confidence in the players. And the, the, the last manager I remember to have a confidence in a player at Crystal Palace um, I think it was Terry Venables, uh, and he used to—I I, I forget the name of the player—but he he brought someone in very young, um, and um, I think you—you—it is difficult because we—it can you know it can backfire, and you can be found out in the Premier League. It's 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 a, it's obviously a very tough league, but what with the money, the ridiculous amount of money that's being it's costing to buy players. I think there has to be more opportunities given younger players. And I think that might be, um, if, if there is a financial crisis in the game, I think that definitely is going to be the way forward. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's risk and reward, isn't it? The risk is massive now. The risks are very, very high for, for clubs to take that chance. But going back to our system, if you go back to the early 90s, in 92, 93, if you looked at the team that I played in, it was full of, young players that had come through this, the system through Alan Smith's youth team. Simon Osborne, Gareth Southgate, Dean Gordon, George Dar, Grant Watts, all got their opportunity in the first team. You know, so it can be done and, and some of those players went on to have a really good career. Um, yeah. So it's just about trust, I think. But I do agree, James, it's, there's too much money, there's 
the amount of money that's in football now, clubs are just not prepared to take that risk with young players because of the consequences of getting relegated. You played in, you mentioned the 90, you, you played in one of the most successful periods of the club, won the Zenith Data Assistance Cup, which arguably is still our best trophy till this day, <laughs> finished in the league. What was behind the success? Because it gets unnoticed at times, but team chemistry matters a lot. And to be that successful, you need to have a great bond. Was that it? Was it talent? What do you say clicked for Palace for you guys to be that successful? Well, it was a mixture of several things. It was, a, you know, we had a good blend of experience and youth. Um, some big characters in the dressing room. I mentioned that today on the other one I did. And it spoke about that, we spoke about that transition from leaving Northampton, Little Northampton in the third, fourth division. To, and bearing in mind, Palace were in the old second division at the time, but it was still another two steps up for me. And to go into that dressing room, coming down from Northampton to, to the smoke and, you know, walking in and Andy Gray's there and Mark and Ian and some massive characters. And you had to, you really, I really had to grasp it and, you know, hit the ground running and get myself going straight away. But we had a good blend then. We had a good blend of, you know, youth and experience and hunger. Hunger was massive. Steve was driven by having players that had that, you know, having building a squad and a team around the experienced players that we had, like Gavin Neblin and, you know, a few others, Gary O'Reilly and, you know, but we had youth and we had good experience. So that was really important to build that dressing room around that and then uh, and, and see where we went. Look, looking back on that team, sort of 10, 15, 20 years later, it, it was really apparent that there, there was some couple that had engendered and there were, there were clever people in that team. I mean, we, we talk about um, Super Alan Pardew put the ball in the scales and that. We'll, we'll skip over his tenure as manager, but but he went on, on to become a successful manager. Look at Southgate. He went on to do, well, he, he is a successful manager. And several mm. others have done well. Sort of Ian, Ian Wright's done well in the media, very eloquent. Um, Mark Bright's doing well in the media. Well, do, you, do you think Coppola attracted those sort of players or do you think he managed to kind of engender that in it and Sir Steve, if anybody's going to have a statue outside Sellers, it's going to be him. Um, what was the best sort of advice he gave you? Um, Steve was very pragmatic, he didn't say a lot. I always remember saying to him that because Steve had watched me in my even in my non league days going back to when I was sort of 17 18, so he kept an eye on me. And it wasn't until I got a little bit older, like I say, I started playing as a right winger. But when he signed me, I was playing as a sweeper. I dropped back into that position for Northampton. And when I signed for him, he said, I want you to play as a right winger. So he said, and if we do change it, I know I've got that option to drop you back into that. But primarily, I'm signing you as a right winger. I want you to play. But Steve, and I always remember saying to him in the first week I was there, well, or even might have been when I, I, I drove down to his house on the Sunday and had dinner and then gone to the club to sign and meet Ron Nodes that I said, well, that's fine. I'm happy with that. You know, who better to be coached by, by, you know, an ex-Man United, ex-England International. And he said to me, oh, no, he said, I, I will coach you. He said, because I train myself every day. He said, I'll leave that to Ian Evans. But Steve, Steve never really coached you in a sense that physically, he'd verbally speak to you and say, look, he'd always say to me, look, get yourself five or six crosses in per game, 
in the first half, sorry, and f- get your feet under the table, get that confidence, give your fullback always something to think about. How can you get the better of him, whether it's inside, outside, put him one in early so he drops off and then the next time you go, he gives you that space to go and take him on. He'd always give you little dockets like that to think about and you'd problem solve them yourself. So he was never big on coaching really and saying to you, right, you need to do this, you need to do that. He gave us the responsibility as players to to go and do it ourselves. And to be perfectly honest, that's that was the, the advice we took and it worked. Um, it was good for the team um, and good for the squad. And obviously we built up that reputation of, you know, in that early 90s of being a very formidable team. That was a great era. I mean, that's, you know, my favourite era, um, late 80s, early 90s. I mean, fantastic matches. And um, you were part of that. And, um, you know, there was um, some of my best players have played during that time. Um, what, would you, what would you say, on, uh, from a personal front, would have been your, your favourite match playing for Crystal Palace? Um, well, well, listen. Always going to the always going to the big clubs were always great occasions, you know. Especially where you came from, where a lot of us came from, playing third and fourth division football. Then to step out at Anfield, regardless of losing nine nil, um, but then to obviously go on and, and play them again and beat them in the semi final. Um, going to Old Trafford, going to Highbury, going to Stamford Bridge. Um, there's lots of great games, but going back to the playoff, obviously that was the early start of it for me um, the playoff final against Blackburn over two legs um, where we went up to Ewood Park on a cold Wednesday rainy night and we got battered by yes. Howard um, and lucky not to be out of sight to be perfectly honest and at 3-0 I think I was fortunate enough I think it was 2-0 and I scored with about five minutes to go I made it 2-1 and then Howard Gale went up the other end and scored again he always had single-handedly beat us on his own that night but we always felt with that away goal that we knew getting them back to Sellers Park or full Sellers Park on the Saturday um, and with Mark and Ian up front that we had the tools and the ammunition to, to get a result. So that was obviously my first real top level. I'd won a championship medal in the fourth division with Northampton and experienced good times, but at that highest level to get promoted then into the, you know, the old first division at the time was, yeah, that was massive. I, I remember Dave Madden in that match smiling mightily as he wheeled away um going back to that liverpool match i was down in london and i was listening to it on capital gold and after three nil i turned the radio off and then every time i turned the radio on liverpool scored apart from the time i turned the radio on and we missed a penalty yeah the crowd were brilliant that night they were looking for the ball that actually turned us around that and I think it changed us as a team. And I think, looking back, it was possibly the best thing that could have happened to us at the time. Because mm. it gave us a kick up the jacksie that we needed. It happened to Southampton. They were rubbish for a bit, weren't they? They got beat 8-0. Yeah. And look at them now. You know, so, it was a so, wake-up call. It was a wake-up call. Because I think, and not subconsciously, I don't think we purposely maybe got into that mode of thinking, oh, we've arrived and we got complacent. It was just, and like I said today, for anybody that was there, for 20 minutes, we played well. We caused them problems. Wright, he had a couple of chances. Mark had a half chance, and we hit, I think Wright hit the post that night. And then once they scored, and it was 3-0 by half time, it was, we, we sort of came, we came in in the day thinking, well, how's that happened? So we held our own for 20 minutes. And then 
obviously the second half is just well you know one that you want to forget and you know we quickly got back on the bus with our tails between our legs and that was the game at the game at Southampton on the following Saturday was a massive game for us and a massive turning point because we had to go to the Dell and obviously we were all struggling a little bit and confidence was a little bit low and we're thinking we need to bounce back here and we really you know we drew one all that day and um you know it kind of got us a little bit back on track of where we needed to be and and where we wanted to get to so yeah those nights out of adversity come some goodness so it wasn't nice to lose 9-0 to what I would class as probably Liverpool's best ever side um in those in that era but it like I say it done there was some good that came out of it you're involved with the foundation um academy um as a head coach I believe um what's that like um and how did you get into that well, basically, I was I was working at the club. I was living down in South London with a friend of mine, and um, I was doing some work, um, some corporate stuff, and a little bit on the side. And then Gary is approached me and asked me to get involved with the academy. So I was helping out with the twelves, and um, obviously living down during the week. And I, I was just speaking to a couple of other coaches. I think it was Dave Muir at the time, and he said about a football education program. So. I came back to Northampton and it was actually funny, a Crystal Palace fan who I'm still friends with to this day, Andy Lucy, um, his wife was the head teacher at a school in Northampton and was looking to build the football programme back up and asked Andy, would I speak to her? So I went in and just spoke to them about this um, this programme and they said, when how long is it going to take to set up? Can you do it? I said, yeah, how long is it going to take? I said, it'll take about seven to eight months. This was the December of 2013, I think. And then I started in the January after the Christmas break, set the programme up. Um, but it wasn't for a couple of years. It was just a college academy. So it was run by me under the school name. But I was still an ambassador for the foundation. I was working out in um, Northern Ireland with, with um, Gary Mulcahy, who's the sporting director. And he just approached me about becoming a Palace Foundation Academy. So it was the same programme. The education was the same. It was just a higher profile, had the backing of the club, and we played in the National Football Youth League. I had a question that I, I just, obviously, you know, I've seen um, where you've been and you've obviously kept in the, still in the industry of football, which is great. Do you, um, and you're, you're still at a, a good age, I feel. Um, but, <laughs> yourself with the current manager at Crystal Palace you've got years yeah. left <laughs> um, what, I, what I wonder if, if the opportunities uh, came about um, you know could you see yourself uh, um, managing a, a football league side um, in maybe the, you know championship or premier league at some point was that something you'd like to do do you think I'm not so sure now I, I was asked this question earlier on and you know it's very difficult now football to be a manager um, because even the job I do myself, although it's only five days a week, it's hard enough. It's it's long days, you know. I'm out out on my door at six o'clock in the morning, you know, and I'm not getting home till five o'clock at night. Now, if you're a coach or a manager at league level, that's a very, very longer if you're out watching games or watching videos now as they do. So, you know, it takes up a lot of your time. So, I think maybe ten years ago, I tried it at non-league level. 
I did try it when I came when I when I retired and I moved back to the area that I'm from, Corby. Um, but it was tough. It was hard work, and I just didn't like. I didn't like the opinions, not not so much the opinions, but the way clubs were being ran. That I was going in for jobs, and there was restrictions, and you know. So I love what I do now. The answer to your question would probably be at my age. I don't think you can ever say never, um, but I love I love doing what I'm doing now. Um, I've just become a granddad recently. I'm going to be a granddad again, so pretty you know, in the next six months. So I enjoy that time that I have with my family. I love my job. I love coaching young players in the programme that I do and giving them the opportunity and the guidance and to succeed, whether it's non-league football or a higher level. So, and I love playing golf. My handicap's coming down all the time. And <laughs> I like having a few beers with my friends and spending time with my family and, and enjoying life. So I don't need the hassle and the strain and the, you know, the stress that it that it brings to your life. So, the answer to your question probably, James, would be unless unless the parish decides to get rid of Roy and takes a chance with a rookie, fifty-five year old, I might change my mind. But no, I, I can't see myself. Well, can't see he's myself he's that. done that in the past, Eddie. He's done that with uh, a few other ex-Palace players, like you know, Dougie Freeman and whoever. And they've, they've done brilliantly. So uh, you never know. But. Uh, but Good honest answer, actually. I appreciate your answer, and I do think that um, you know it is a very stressful position. Um, and um, yeah, you don't want to um, go into it uh, full on, and it appears to be uh, um, a very, very um, difficult job of working all hours, etc. So, um, well, the rewards I... are great, James. Listen, the rewards are great, and if somebody came along and offered you an unbelievable contract, you're going to take it, but. Listen, the amount of managers that are in the game that get sacked and then get another job, you know, up until two or three years ago, it was just a never-ending roundabout. You just jumped off and jumped back on again. But, you know, I think it's slightly different now. I think I think clubs are looking at football. They're more business-minded now and, you know, hard, harder and harsher decisions have to be made. And the longevity of being in the job for any longer than 12 months is becoming more increasingly more difficult to... So Roy's doing well. Um, I know there's split opinion on, you know, on our chairman, but you know, we've been a Premiership club now for a long time, and we've steadied the ship. We're not a yo-yo club anymore, and you know, I think on the whole, um, the club's in good hands under Steve. Uh, I think. Uh, sorry, sorry, you, you, Steve Coppel got time to develop, didn't he? Which, which is missing now. Um, and yeah, you, you often wonder how, how a manager would do. How would a Frank De Boer have done if he'd been given a whole season? Actually, don't imagine that. I can't. I don't want to. But yeah, but yeah. <laughs> it's just he was unlucky at the time as well. I think as well. You know, you've got to be the right fit. And I just think they went down that road, that foreign road, a little bit too early, possibly. Um, didn't know the league great. Um, fantastic footballer. Played against them actually for when he played left-back for Holland and I was playing for the Republic of Ireland. Nice guy. But it just, you know, right club, wrong place, wrong time um, for, for him, unfortunately. And, you know... We've, we've got gyro. That's worth it, isn't it? We've got gyro out of it. So, you know, we wouldn't have had him if it wasn't for Frank. <laughs> OK, excellent. Yeah. Let's talk about post-Palace. I mean, you leave Palace, you go to Arsenal, positive step in your step in your career, you're moving to a bigger club. But 
Unfortunately, injuries did hold you back a bit. I mean, how do you sum up your time at Arsenal? Well, let's get one thing straight here. I need to tell you this. I never wanted to leave Palace. Okay. And obviously, obviously, we got relegated at the end of that, that season. We got before, relegated before you go high. on, what, what did Wrighty say? Did you say anything to Wrighty after the game? Because he ran up to us fans and kissed yeah. the Arsenal badge. And there are plenty of Palace fans who have never forgiven him. I have because of all the joy he brought me. But, yeah. but did you confer with him after? No, I mean, we obviously, we were, we were that just that, that disappointed in losing the game. And I think we went down by one goal in the end. Yeah. And yeah. so our, our, our focus was on that. Obviously, I've heard stories about over the years about, you know, right, you're doing, you know, what he did and Palace fans not being happy with him. But so we get relegated. Steve leaves the job a year later, uh, a week later. Alan Smith rings me and wants to have a chat. So wants to know how I feel and I said well look I've got a World Cup coming up I don't really want to leave Palace um, Ron Nodes made it quite clear that obviously it was our first year and it was the first year of the Premiership and we, we got obligated in it and we obviously the money wasn't there like it is now with parachute payments and there was effectively £2 million sitting on the table for myself and Jeff um, from Arsenal and Wolves and you know Ron made it quite clear that you know that money was acceptable to them, and that we we had to go really. So, and I think if we hadn't got relegated, it would have been a lot harder for me to go. But there's been a lot of things sort of subjected at me over the years, or you know, you jumped ship and went to Arsenal, and you know, people don't know the whole facts. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't the case of wanting to leave. I never wanted to leave Palace, and to be perfectly honest, yes, I was driven. Um, ambition and obviously wanted to play for a bit you know a, 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 when I say a big club I mean the stature of Arsenal was huge at that time as well so um, you know they've won the league a couple of times in the cup so and getting relegated obviously made it a little bit easier to make that decision but the decision was basically made for us so going there was you know we had the World Cup coming up the following year for the Republic of Ireland and obviously you know it was reluctant and worried about playing championship football at the time so I went and you know embraced it and you know it was a new start for me and I had to then become I went into that dressing room a small fish in the ocean whereas mm-hmm. in Palace I learned the right over the three or four years previous and winning the play of the year and playing well that 92-3 season I'd scored something like 12 goals and, and played in a various variety of positions and played well so there was interest so yeah I just you know I went there and I tried to get on and do my best and I think in the first year I played 37 games and you know it was good we, we won the Cup Winners Cup final and I went to the World Cup so it was all good but listen in in life you suffer disappointment and, and especially in the industry that we play you know you're always going to pick up injuries and unfortunately I picked up a couple of injuries um, with my right knee which that same injury forced me to miss the 1990 Cup final, which I'm glad you haven't brought up. So, um, yeah, and I snapped my medial collateral. And it was just that second season was a bit of a struggle for me, really. I only ended up playing something like 25 games. So, yeah, it was it was indifferent. I'd say the first sort of 18 months were, were reasonably, reasonably good and, you know, successful. So, but that's, listen... It's good and bad in everything you do and every every football club that I've ever played for from a young kid I've had good times and bad times it's just something that you have to accept and get on with it so you were, you were, no different. 
you were you were kind of there at the end of the Jules Graham era, weren't you? How how, how different was it playing the culture of the club? Because now everybody talks about how you know they they were a blooming good team, Arsenal at that time, um, and Wrighty was arguably, apart from Henri, perhaps the, the best player in the modern era. Um, how different was it? Well, in terms of travel um, and in terms of preparation, it was massively different to any other club that I played for. Um, and without saying that we weren't professional at Palace, we were. We had overnight stays, but just playing for a club of that stature, it just goes, seems to go up a you know a couple of notches. So, in terms of that and the preparation of you know how we used to do it or how they used to do it was was different. So, you know that was that was slightly different um, and better, without being critical of of you know Palace. But um, like I say, you, you just got on with it and you made the most of it and, you know, you try to do your best every day. That's You went into training every day. You were playing where all of a sudden you got a, a dressing room everywhere you look full of internationals in every corner. So, you know, you had to train well every day. You couldn't have an off day. You had to train well every day, even just to get, a, you know, a sniff to get near the side. Um, so, you know, that drives you on. And if it works out, great. If it doesn't, you just got to pick yourself up and dust yourself down, and you know that's what I tried to do. And if you stay lucky through injuries and without injuries, it's you know, hopefully, you know, I don't look back on my time at Arsenal and think it was a, a failure. I don't because, you know, I played sort of like nearly sixty games in the first two years, um, and at that time George was probably the only coach at that level that was rotating his team. So he would think nothing of changing his whole midfield and, and forwards um, every other game. It could be five or six changes. So, you know, you just had to get used to that and accept that and work even harder to get back in the side. So, but like it was mentioned earlier on, I picked up, you know, some injuries that, that hampered my time there. And, you know, unfortunately, that's part and parcel of football. Did, did, well, you deserve that move. You were obviously at the top of your game and um, you played for, you know, arguably one of the, the best teams in England, and you were also playing for International Republic of Ireland. I mean, I, I didn't follow you so much when you played for Ireland, obviously. Um, but um, I, had a, I just wanted to know uh, who would have been uh, the best player that you've played with and also the best player that you've played against, and that can be an international stage or domestic. Of course, it's a great question because I've been very fortunate in my career to play with some unbelievable players. I always remember, you know, going to Palace and, and you know, Wrighty was phenomenal. Brighty was an unbelievable centre-forward. Some really good players. Um, and then you go to Arsenal and, you know, I always remember Patrick Vieira coming in for Macy Milan um, as a young, raw 21-year-old and, getting to watch him and his habits around the training ground. And then obviously Dennis Bergkamp came um, in for Minter Milan and I played against Dennis for Ireland, for Holland, against Holland. So knew what he was about and obviously seen clips on the telly. So to get that experience of training and playing with him was, you know, was, you know, unbelievable. It was immense. Um, and then you look at even playing against the likes of Arsenal when we when I was at Palace, you you know, you were coming up against Tony Adams, who was recognised as one of the best goal centre-backs in the game, and David Seaman and, you know, um, Paul McGrath at Aston Villa, who I was lucky enough to play with um, at uh, with, with the Republic. And probably one of the, the most gifted players ever, Paul Merson, was, was, was gifted. You know, he was a fantastic player um, on his day. But Georgie Kinkladze, 
in terms of his pure technical ability in Man City, he was just phenomenal. I've never seen anything like it. You know, he was a different player. He only played when he had the ball, rightly. Um, anything else, on a cold, wet night at Reading, you know, in front of 6,000 fans, you weren't seeing Georgie. But at Main Road, when there was 35,000, 40,000 there, you know, you give him the ball and let him do it. So, um, I was very fortunate in my career to play with some unbelievable players. You know, those those three or four would be up right up there. And, you know, again, probably Paolo Maldini um, would probably have to be the best defender I've ever played against or come up against in terms of, you know, his position and his strength, his reading of the game. It was very, very difficult when you came up against him. Um, so, but yeah. Great names, but you just got on with it. And and when you look back now, it's not until you look back now and you you, you count yourself very fortunate to share the same pitch with some of those names. So, yeah, good times. When's the book coming out, mate? Uh, <laughs> you know, my mum's always saying that to me. I should write a book. And it's funny, the missus say to me, you're very good at it, you know, because when the specialist subject is you, she says, you can talk for hours. <laughs> so, you should write a book and... I've done some gentleman evenings over the years and, you know, it's good. I like to get up and talk and, and reminisce and talk about, you know, stories of what we went, what we got up to and what happened and things like that. So, but I'm just probably a little bit, probably a little bit, you know, not bothered. It'd be nice to do it. You know, it'd be nice to do it, but I've never been approached actually. But a lot of people do say to me, why don't you write a book? But I just don't have time. Mm. So, so my, my last question for you, because it's, it, it's getting late and uh, I don't want to run out of questions. Maybe we'll, we'll get you back another time if this lockdown goes on. This is a difficult question because you've got to blow your own trumpet a bit. But who would your contemporary equivalent be? If somebody was, if you were to say, oh, I would, if DR hasn't got a clue, mate, is, is you know, he was, he was barely swimming around in his dad's proverbials when you were playing. <laughs> So if you were to say to DR, okay, if you want a player that plays today that was a bit like I was, who would that be? Cool. Wow. Jeez. And we won't accept Messi because we, we know you were good, but... No, no, listen, I wouldn't even mention myself in the same <laughs> breath. That'd be, uh, that'd be a total embarrassment. Do you know what? That's so hard. I'm, that, I've been asked so many questions over the years, but that is the equivalent of me. Oh wow! I couldn't. I honestly, I honestly couldn't even answer that. I don't know. I, I really don't know. There's far better players out there than me than I ever was. So, um, and I, I possibly wouldn't want to liken anybody to me anyway. Do you know what I mean? Especially when I had, a, especially when I had a dodgy tash and a dodgy mullet. So that's for sure. But listen, I was um, no, I, I, I grew into my game. I was given the confidence by various managers to go and do that and Steve let me do my own thing and I think he appreciated the way I played I was direct as a winger um, you know I got crosses into the box I scored the odd goal um, I was more of a provider but I was honest about my game you know I was hard working and I always wanted to improve so I couldn't honestly really I couldn't honestly really answer that question you, you'd probably be better answering it than me Eddie, come back to that one. Don't worry. Just come back. To, if you think of one, just tell us before the end. But you've just started, you just actually delved into um, my question, which is my last question. Uh, I, I, was, I was trying to reword this, actually. I was going to say, um, who's the best manager you've played under? But I don't want you to say it on, I don't, 
the answer as to say who was the best manager because they won the most. I want mm -hmm. you. To, I want to rephrase it and say who was the fav the most favourite manager you played under. So it doesn't mean to say that they had to be the most successful, but just the manager you really enjoyed working with and you had the best time with. Yeah, just that, and it could be, and don't. It doesn't have to be Crystal Palace. It doesn't have to be. No. Yeah. I get another question, James. That's that's really good, and and like I said earlier on, it's you know I had good and bad at every football club, and even in my coaching career now, I've taken a little bit from every single coach or manager that I've played under. Like Graham Carr at Northampton was probably the biggest influence on in my career at that time to get me to where I wanted to be, um, and Steve, you know, took that mantle on. I wouldn't say that I wouldn't say that he seen himself in me because he was a far 10 times better player than me but he seen obviously seen something as to what he was like um as a player in me so that's why he bought me and he just let me do and gave me the confidence to go and do it although you know I'll never forgive him for although I wasn't 100% fit for the cup final in 90 um probably only about 15% fit but it still grates me to this day um, but it wasn't his fault. But he gave me the confidence then to go and play and get to the next level with with just the way he acted. Like I said earlier on, he was never a coach that would coach you know, tactically. He was just told, go and play, go and enjoy it, do what you need to do, get your crosses in, um, work hard. And then he'd just drop him with little pockets here and there. So, um, And then, obviously, very fortunately, when I went to Man City after the Arsenal, um, he um, he was the manager that came in and had that thirty-two day spell, and that was his only signing. Very so, sure. uh, yeah, no, I always found Steve Koppel. I mean, I don't know about Nick here, but I always found that whenever we went in at half time under Steve Koppel, whatever he said at half time was magic because we used to come out second half and know exactly what we needed to do. And yeah. I I think Steve Koppel's team talks at half time must have been absolutely brilliant because he was spot on. Because every time we came out second half, we yeah. did what we needed to do. Do you agree with that? Or? Yeah, yeah, very much so. He was very calm, Steve. He was never a ranter and a raver and a shouter. He, he, you know, he was very softly spoken. I mean, there was times over the years that I played for him that he could lose his temper and would be, you know, quite aggressive. But the majority of the time, he was a thinker. He thought a lot about football and what he needed to say and how that would have the biggest impact on you as a player and trying to improve you. So, um, yeah, he's definitely up there in terms of answering that question. You know, he gave me that platform to play on at a higher level and gave me the confidence to do it. Um, but he tested me as well. I always remember after, after, that was probably the hardest point of my career, missing that cup final. It was something that I'd always wanted to do. And, you know, I think I played the majority of the games up until that, Cup run started, and I got injured against Liverpool at Sellers Park on the 27th of January. I remember it vividly, and the date and the time, and you know. But I had to pick myself up, and I, I struggled mentally after that. And you know, he, you know, he set me down, and he, he posed me problems in terms of how to get out of it, you know, and what I needed to do to get out of it, and then basically left me alone to do it. So, you know, while I probably look back and think well maybe you could have put your arm around me um it gave me the impetus and the you know that feeling that I needed to prove him wrong after what had happened so you know I, I'm thankful for that and you know it, it it made me into the 
you know, the player obviously went on to win the player of the year at Palace and, you know, scored a few goals and played 189 times. So, yeah, good times, absolutely times that, I, you know, I'll look back on and I'll cherish and, you know, always remember very, very fondly. Great, great support even to this day when I do go down. I go to quite a lot of away games now, especially Leicester because it's up this way. So I always enjoy taking the family to the, to that and having a drink with the Red and Blue Army. So, yeah, great times. Yeah, you need to write a book. I'm sorry, but the, fascin- the players that you played with, the players that you played um, against and your stories with Palace, with Arsenal, it would just be a fascinating read. If you ever have the time, I'm pretty sure everyone will buy it. But thank you once again for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Um, but yeah, as, as always, if you have enjoyed the video, make sure to leave a like and subscribe. And let us know who you want us to chat to next. Until next time, up the palace. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.